So our panel of Amanda Engel and Rob Harry talking about federal tax credits on this week's Renew Gurus. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director of Renew Missouri, James Owen, coming to you live on tape from my undisclosed location here in mid-Missouri. Uh, joining us, <clears throat> perhaps for the first time, I have two guests on Renew Gurus today to uh, certainly live up to the uh, to the name Renew Gurus. I have Amanda Ingle, who is Associate General Counsel of Birch Creek, and also have Rob Harry, who is a partner at Stinson, uh, which is a, a large law firm at their St. Louis office. Uh, Amanda, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me today, James. Yeah, great to be great to have you on here, Rob. How are you? Doing very well, James. Thanks again for having us. Yeah, well, so let's uh, let's just kind of jump into this. Um, I wanted to have you both on here because in the past you and I have kind of talked about um, federal tax credits involving renewable energy projects and that sort of uh, thing. And I think it's one of those uh, topics that people have a lot of questions about. And I, I thought, well, we'll we'll try to address some of those. But before we get into that. Um, Amanda, you want to kind of give us a little bit about your your background, about what your company does, what you do for them. You know, kind of give us the um, kind of give us the uh, overview, thirty thousand feet. Sure, Birch Creek Development is a utility scale solar developer. Um, we're based here in St. Louis, but with projects all over the U.S. Um, so my role there is Associate General Counsel of Real Estate and Development, so dealing, you know. With, with finding and sourcing the projects from the ground up and, and working on getting them into a place to be able to put them to financing. So I've been there about um, a year now. My prior background was uh, actually at Stinson with Rob um, in the tax credit sector. So have been on both sides of the table at this point, um, seeing a little bit, little bit of everything when it comes to renewables and um, the tax credit world more generally. Yeah, great, okay. And you say you you all have projects here in Missouri? We do. Yeah, we do. Quite a few going on in Missouri and Illinois, Southern Illinois area. So um, it's always fun to be able to develop something in your backyard and, and see it come from the ground up. Seems like solar is really hot right now. Like, I mean, I, I feel like wind was like a big, wind farms were big were big for a while, but now I feel like there's a lot of solar going around. So that must be, uh, must must keep you pretty busy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it is. It is definitely a booming industry. And um, I know we'll get into this, but the IRA has a lot to do with that and just yeah. kind of revitalizing the the industry right now. So it's exciting to see and it's exciting time to be part of it. Yeah, great. Well, uh, yeah, it is great to great to have your expertise in the state on that. And uh, Rob, what a, what about you? What's your what's your story? Give us the whole David Copperfield from your. From your- <laughs> well, I'll, I'll limit it to what's germane to this topic. OK. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm a partner in the real estate and public finance division at Stinson. So uh, a significant portion of my practice revolves around um, commercial real estate transactions. Uh Uh, But I do have a a niche in renewable energy finance. So I tend to work with uh, lenders and developers on um, two, two primary components of the, of the, of the projects, one being the financial structures and the, and the capital stack. Um, I, I focus a lot on the debt um, and construction debt and some permanent debt. Um, and then also I do weigh in occasionally on the tax credits 
and um, allocating structuring, usually on the project side, from the developer side on, on structuring to obtain tax credits. Um, and then also on the real estate work for mm -hmm. renewable projects. So that's generally involving site control, um, <clears throat> a lot of, uh, you know, preparing title insurance policies, oh, negotiating yeah. leases for renewable projects, mostly solar. Uh, we've done some wind and then, um, you know, and then I, I do have some, some exposure to the tax credit financing component, um, a little from the developer side, um, and then also, or sponsor side, as we would call it, and then also uh, a little bit of work with the investor side. Well, I think that background is interesting because I know there's a lot of people who know the urgency of developing solar, developing wind, developing these projects, but it there is a lot of layers and a lot of legal layers to that. I mean, it's not just, you know, purchasing the land or leasing the land, but also dealing with ordinances and zoning. And that's before you even get to the 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 generation of the power itself. Yeah, the the lead up to to uh, placing the system in service is it's a long lead time. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of work that goes into developing a renewable project, whether it's solar or wind or uh, a biogas or renewable gas, as they have been calling it, or, you know, right? Natural gas, depending on how it's produced. Um, and the 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 runway to from you know contemplating the project to building it and then placing it in services it's a long time um, yeah. you know depending on what jurisdiction you're in you've got interconnection studies that need to be done and obviously site control and then um, local uh, entitlements like permitting. Um, yeah. And then depending on, again, you know, your jurisdiction you're in, then there's also a utility uh, issue, like which we you know, kind of dovetail with the, with the whole interconnection matter. So, yeah, yeah it's there's a there's a lot to, to take into account. You can't can't really just say, hey, I'm entering a lease and we're going to start work. Um, yeah, there's quite a bit that leads up to it. It's a it's a challenge because I mean in, in my job <clears throat> doing clean energy advocacy you 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 work with a lot of people who want to emphasize the urgency this got to be done right now we got to move to this right now and the pragmatism of this I mean I understand the urgency I understand the need to to do everything but there is a lot that goes into this and um, and that you know that kind of I mean I think it's kind of you know kind of gets into my Next question I'm going to pose to you, Amanda, about you mentioned about how the IRA has kind of been a shot in the arm for all of this. I mean, what is it about the Inflation Reduction Act that has been such a, you know, which is which has been such a, you know, useful tool for uh, your company and your line of work? Yeah, I think there's a couple different aspects. I mean, I, I think the the primary and the most important thing is that it it extended um, the uh, the investment tax credit and the production tax credit, and those are the primary tax credits that we use for um, solar development. It extended those essentially through 2032, where previously they were about to phase out. Um, yeah. And so I think you're you're seeing a lot of, and we're seeing a lot of new movement in the industry. Um, you know, there there was a 
there was a sense that solar development was no longer going to be as financially attractive um, for investors, especially as that tax credit amount, you know, phases down and you might only be getting 10% of your your costs on the project as opposed to 30%. So the ability to 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 get that 30% again is has been huge and has really um, had an impact on on the industry. Um, and that that's the baseline, you know, 30% is, is kind of the baseline. And so there's there's new bonus credits that the IRA introduced too that that give the possibility of of increasing the credit base even higher than 30%. And so all of that together has just, uh, it's really made um, solar projects, again, financially attractive for investors and lenders and in a way that we haven't seen in a while. Yeah, I mean, um, depending on where the project's going to go, depending on what materials being used, depending on who is hired to do the work. I mean, you you could be looking at an extra 10% tax credit um, for any number of those components. Mm-hmm. Any for one of those different concepts that I think that the IRA wanted to help spur into action. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and the bonus credits, you're, you're able to stack them. Um, so, you know, you could start with 30% and you could end up with 50, 60, potentially up to 70. It's, it's unlikely, but that, that makes a huge impact that that 10% adder makes a huge impact for a project. Yeah. Um, yeah, not, not to mention, yeah. I think to jump in on that is, is yeah, please. that not just that it's encouraging the development of, of new renewable projects under the ITC, but it's also incentivizing the production of the modules and racking and the hard materials that are needed to build these projects and to 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 produce them in the United States. Whereas um, in the history of renewables, um, and, and particularly solar development, a significant majority of, of the, the hard materials needed to build your, 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 your project or your system were outsourced and, and obtained from primarily China. Yeah. Um, and with the um, adders, the bonus credits that, that Amanda was discussing, now there's a significant incentive to, number one, produce those those things here with American-made steel uh, and uh, and American-produced um, modules and 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 uh, um, racking and, and things like that, um, and then also if you can incorporate those into your system, you get the benefit. Yeah. So it, it's not just incentivizing the building of the systems; it's also incentivizing the development and uh, manufacture of the components of the system. Yeah, it's certainly a critique we hear a lot at Renew Missouri about how like, oh, you know, all of this relies on China and China's, you know, supposed to be our, you know, our kind of our trade um, adversaries. And, um, you know, and I guess, you know, my, my thought, my question is, you know, Rob, I mean, and maybe maybe you don't know the the answer to this. I might need to get somebody else on here to talk about this. I mean, is, you know, is the United States meeting this challenge are they starting to do more manufacturing is i mean there's incentives for manufacturers to do this as part of the ira as well isn't there 
Yes. Yeah, there are. And that, that's exactly what I was alluding to is that the, the, the IRA introduced credits for manufacturing items and, and components of energy systems. Yeah. And, and that those incentives lead to the production of, of um, domestically manufactured components and then there's also the adder incentives that amanda referenced that incentivize or the adder excuse me credits that incentivize the use of domestically manufactured components so the the it's it's a fairly robust set of of um robust set of, of incentives uh based on domestically manufactured products um and then obviously you know systems that are installed and been and uh, installed and, and, and developed in the united states and the various states yeah and, and even and, and even some of the territories right right yeah i mean i you know because i i know um well just the other day i was in i was in kansas and i saw and i know this is not solar but there's a battery storage plant that's being built outside of kansas city and this thing is massive i've never seen anything quite like this it's it's huge you can see it from miles away it is going to it's going to be run i mean the plan is for it's going to be run entirely off renewable energy but it's going to be building batteries and and, and doing and you know building some of this other technology it's going to go into um you know, renewable energy. And uh, I just can't, I mean, the economic development of that is staggering, really. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the storage is a big component that a lot of people don't take into account. Uh, right. When when you're thinking about the implementation of a, of a renewable energy um, infrastructure. And there's, there's a significant component of the, of the, of the market now that is focused on um, building storage lines. Um, I, you know, I've, I've been involved in familiar with companies that are developing just storage, like capacity lines that cross multiple States or whole States. And the idea being that it assists with, with load demand and, and reduces the impact on the generation facilities. Um, and so that's another component of it is storage. And, um, you know, as, as anyone is familiar with, um, and, and one of the big critiques of, of renewables is, all right, well, what happens if the sun's not shining? What happens? I've never wind? heard that before. Yeah, right. What happens <laughs> if the wind's not blowing? Well, the idea is that, well, while it's shining or while the wind's blowing hard or biomass is a little different, but right, you can, the the use and the low demand on the on the generation facilities doesn't necessarily meet with their production and so this way you can you can capture all the energy that's created and and maintain it uh for when the load is needed mm -hmm. now um amanda i think rob brought up a an, uh, you know some alphabet soup and i want to make sure we cover it we were talking about itc and ptc can you kind of tell us what those are and what the difference is between those two things? Sure, the investment tax credit allows the taxpayer to take 
um, a tax credit based on the, the their cost basis in the projects, so the amount of money that they put into the project. So you're looking at what you've actually spent to build, you know, the solar uh, or wind wind project. The the production tax credit, on the other hand, is uh, based on the amount of electricity you're actually producing, um, and so you're you're looking at production rather than investment. So they both are applicable to renewable energy projects, but it's just a matter of how you're actually calculating the tax credit that you're then taking. I see. Right. Okay. One of the things I'm always trying to do with Renew Missouri is educate people on what we call those TLAs, those three-letter acronyms. <laughs> mm-hmm. there, uh, there's a lot in this industry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there certainly are. Now, I, you know, and I kind of you know, Rob kind of threw out that old chestnut that we hear a lot of critique about the, you know, the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing I hear, especially in the Missouri legislature, uh, because we're down there and there's a lot of, there's a little antipathy about renewable energy from, from a lot of members there. And they say, well, <clears throat> why is it that solar and wind get these, we get these benefits? Why, you know, why is this, why is this fair? Um, now I know what my answer is to these people, uh, when they say that, but I kind of wonder like, what, what's your response when you hear that? Do you think you're getting an unfair advantage? I, you know, I think there's, there's a number of factors at play there. Um, like I said, my, my prior background is in tax credits more generally. And so this, this isn't a new concept, you know, the using tax credits to incentivize, um, behavior or incentivize, uh, investment is is not unique to the solar industry or it's unique to the wind industry um and so it's one of the more powerful tools that the government has to incentivize um especially behavior they want such as you know renewable energy or or clean energy um and and it works you know if you look at since the passage of the ira there is a bunch of new investment and you look at the um the impact of the renewable energy tax credit more generally since it's it's inception it has created a lot of new investment in this space mm-hmm. and so um i i think they're uh you know again i i don't think that's an, a new concept um to just the renewable energy space yeah. um and i think the ira has gone a step further and and helped to kind of level the playing field maybe where there hasn't been a level playing field before so um it's intended to bring in new participants. Um, you know, tax exempt entities are some taxpayers that previously weren't able to use this credit. There's now a a mechanism for them to be able to participate municipalities, um, the same thing. Um, and then you look at the bonus credits, you know, one of the bonus credits is for communities that have historically, uh, had oil production or coal production or gas production. Um, and so, creating an incentive to invest in those communities that, um, you know, might otherwise uh, be left behind with the, um, the advances in renewable energy. Yeah. Rob, you have any thoughts on that, uh, that we didn't cover? No, I think one, Amanda touched on this and it's something that I've, I've spoken on um, elsewhere and that's the, the 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 availability now of the incentives toward tax exempt organizations and you know the the tax credit 
in and of itself is only valuable um, in as much as number one, the owner of the facility has and has some tax appetite. You know, if they actually yeah. pay taxes, and and the way that these these developments are structured is usually their their whole their brand new entities, and they don't really have any sort of tax liability. And so there's there's a market for selling the tax credits, but um, until the until the IRA uh, tax exempt organizations like schools, hospitals, yeah. co-ops, municipalities, and all the, the the governmental entities associated with municipalities, organizations, they, they don't have tax obligations. And so now yeah. what you can do is um, a co-op is a great example, is that a co-op can um, can develop a, uh, a system and take advantage of the uh, tax credit in the form of a, effectively a refund, right? And so, um, if they if they follow all the other guidelines that go with the 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 ITC, for example, or the PTC, and and some of the adders and other requirements such as prevailing wage requirements and 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 um, some of the other things that are they're going to come online in the next couple of years. Um, then they can, in lieu of obtaining a credit that they'd have to go and sell, um, or 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 try to find a way to use, which is difficult for a tax exempt entity. Um, now they can just get a refund once the project is placed in service in that tax year. So if it's placed in service in 2024, they can file their tax returns for 2024, and, and in lieu of getting a credit, they're just going to get a refund from the government from the from from the uh, for an equal amount. Right, and so um, I see that being a huge development, especially yeah. in places like Missouri, where a significant portion of the energy um, infrastructure and, and and production comes from rural co-ops, as yeah. opposed to the more uh, traditional utilities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, and I, I think you know, and I know that our organization, Renew Missouri, gets a little um, flack for being critical of the rural electric cooperatives, or at least that's, I think they think we're being unfair to them. Uh, but I mean, I'm also free to acknowledge that when Ameren or Evergy or Liberty Empire, investor-owned utilities uh, who do provide a lot of power to a lot of Missourians, they are private companies. They do pay taxes. And so when these tax credits were just tax credits, they were able to take some advantage of that, something that a municipal utility like Columbia or Springfield or the various co-ops couldn't do. And um, that's, that's, you know, that's why we were, we were fighting so hard for this federal legislation is because we knew uh, that, that co-ops and municipalities were hamstrung to a certain degree and that this was going to open that up uh, for them. Um, I mean, and if you, I mean, and, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll open this up to you, Rob. I mean, have you have you seen a me? I mean, is is there an immediate response to this? Have you seen more activity? I, I know Amanda kind of mentioned this, but I mean, what, what's been your experience just uh, as a whole? Yeah, you know, it's it, it's brand new, so immediate is is difficult. But I I have seen greater interest. Um, I do know that I have spoken with. Um, certain developers who work with 
these tax exempt organizations um, under a new, a more unique type of financing structure called an energy savings company. Um, and they're working with their, their clients who are, are almost exclusively tax exempt organizations to, yeah. to incorporate these concepts into the development and to the capitalization structure, or at least the financing structure. Um, and yes, I, I think there is some immediate, interest now in in prioritizing the development of of renewable projects or or at least qualify you know qualified facilities whether that's renewable generation facilities or, or storage or whatever um to 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 take advantage of of this of this um incentive um and so, yeah, I, I have seen some some of that, you know, it's regardless of your political affiliation, I think most most business persons um, like the idea of, of uh, things costing less and less, you know, even if it's less out of pocket, if it's not less out of pocket, it's it's less on the tail end. And so that's that's attractive to to everyone in the in the industry. I hope that's not a controversial position. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, to yeah, go back I mean, to something Rob alluded to earlier, I mean, these these projects take a long time and take a significant cost outlay to get built. Um, and so in some ways, this, this incentive is almost necessary to make these projects financially viable for um, a lot of companies such as Birch Creek, you know, to be able to uh, to put that incentive out there. And so I think it's it's also just a um, a way to acknowledge the amount of work that goes into getting these projects. It's it's not cheap and it's not easy to get solar projects and get renewable energy projects right. up and running. So having that incentive in place is really important to make these um, projects continue to be uh, attractive and, and financially viable for a lot of developers. Yep. And I want to rest everyone assured that the oil and gas industry are still receiving lots of subsidies. <laughs> <laughs> this is right. not. Yes, it, se are. it seems like they are still benefiting a lot from <laughs> uh, from uh, federal policy that has historically picked them as winners and left everybody else as losers. And so I think if this is kind of equal, I think as you all have put pretty well, this is kind of making the playing field a little more equal. Um, Amanda, you know, kind of talking a little bit about like how this is given more incentive. I mean, I, I, I can't remember if it was you or Rob who were talking, I think maybe Rob mentioned something about interconnection issues. I mean, what other issues are out there that are still presenting challenges? I mean, you've got these financial benefits now, you've got kind of these opportunities that are presented by the IRA, but I mean, that hasn't resolved all the challenges that you face in, in this industry, has it? No. And I mean, even the IRA as great as it is and as, um, as much, as it's going to revitalize the industry and, and create new opportunities in the industry. There's a, there's a lot of uncertainty there. You know, there's a lot of new um, concepts that haven't been in the industry before. Um, Rob was talking about the direct pay option. There's also transferability, yeah. which is, which is brand new. Um, and so, you know, even after the passage of the IRA, there's, there's a lot of work to be done to actually um, figure out how that is going to go into effect. And so, the industry was kind of collectively holding its breath, waiting for regulations, waiting for the IRS to put out guidance on certain things. Um, and so uh, it, it's been a little bit slower than I think some folks would hope, especially, you yeah. know, as far as getting transferability projects um, 
up and running. It's, it's just been a waiting game, waiting to, to figure out what's going to be needed for compliance. But um, as far as the industry more generally, I mean, interconnection issues uh, continue to be a, a huge obstacle right now. And, and part of it is it's, um, it's a result of the fact that there's a bunch of new investment in the industry um, and these grids that were built are we're not designed to handle the amount of capacity that they're currently facing. Um, so it's, it's a good thing, uh, you know, in, in terms of why it's happening, but it's, it's a terrible thing for developers like yeah. Birch Creek that are trying to get projects through where we might be facing a couple of years, um, you know, from submission of an application to go through the study process to actually get the interconnection approval and, and start the project. And so that, that is a significantly long lead time um, wow. in, in a, an issue right now. Um, and then I think the other thing is uh, supply chain issues. You know, that was, oh, that was a huge issue. Yeah. It was a huge issue, especially during um, the pandemic and, and we're starting to see those resolved right now, but there was a point where, you know, trying to order components and modules, it could be two or three years out from when you're ordering them. And so um, again, thankfully we're starting to see that be dialed back and, and get resolved. But I think we're going to continue to see the lingering effects of that in the industry for a while yet. Really is amazing. That was four years ago that the COVID shut everything down and we're still yeah. <laughs> dealing with it. Yeah. 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 Even, it, indirectly anyway. And I think directly too, but that's a, that's a different podcast. Um, yeah. Well, so I kind of want to elaborate a little bit on the interconnection issue. I mean, I think <clears throat> um, Renew Missouri has talked about this in some other podcasts, but um, you know, what you're kind of alluding to is the fact that there's only so many transmission lines. There's mm -hmm. only some places where, you know, as an independent um, generator, you can, you know, kind of build. Mm -hmm. um, and, and one of the things that Renew Missouri has started doing more and more of is, advocating for additional transmission um which as we all know is not politically popular <laughs> to build more transmission lines um but i mean from your perspective it is i mean but we we but we are but if we're going to meet demand for power we need to make sure that we have a robust grid yes yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's. I think there's a lot more projects out there that want to get built than than can currently be built. You know, because of these transmission line issues. Um, so I think any way that we can we can help with that, um, and then you know, provide additional outlet and um, provide an opportunity for these projects to be built is is a good thing. You know, I think the way that it's currently being solved is um, there's a lot of utilities that are increasing deposit amounts, the amount that you have to pay out of pocket in order to be put into the queue in the first place. And that's that's gonna continue to make it harder and harder for um, newer developers to enter the space. And I think, uh, you know, as an industry, we wanna encourage um, and continue to encourage new investment and um, new players in the game. Yeah, and I, I would have to think that that's, they're increasing that for also gas plants as well. So it's not just, I mean, like everyone is, this is going to increase costs as long as there's like limited transmission. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the, that's another thing is just um, if you look at the upgrade costs right now, the, the cost to actually get your project onto the grid, those are continuing to go up too, just because again, these, these grids weren't designed for this much, um, this much capacity. And so uh, the, yeah, the, the cost of that is just, is continuing to rise. Mm -hmm. 
Rob, you, I mean, you, you think that, uh, I mean, as we have this more, we have supply issues with power. I mean, demand is going to rise for electricity when we look at current trends, isn't it? I mean, as far as I understand, yeah, I don't, I don't anticipate a reduction in demand on electricity. <laughs> um, we got EVs coming. We got, got electrification. EVs, yeah, you know, EVs, and and um, I think we're going to see, you know, more more caught or more energy demanding um, products and and and, yeah. and and development, um, especially as we you know go to a more virtual world. Um, mm. and so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, I think, I think the bigger issue or the bigger component is just the, the transition from, you know, the fossil fuels that we're accustomed to, um, whether it be by choice or, or necessity and the way that these projects and location of where these projects are going to be um, constructed leads to a change in thinking on where and how the grid is structured. Um, whereas historically you have massive facilities that are generating energy that are localized to one location. Now you have um for instance community solar projects in states like illinois yeah where you have smaller you know um the memory serves me right in many instances under two megawatt projects that are clustered yep. around a, around a region well mm -hmm. interconnection is a lot more complicated than just having one massive nuclear facility or one large coal plant or one large um you know, I guess it's mostly coal and, and nuclear and, and um, some natural gas, but like, I, I think that that's a challenge that we're we're struggling with, which is part of this interconnection yeah. piece that Amanda was talking about. Is that you know you 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 put a you put a a solar farm, a ten megawatt or fifty or hundred megawatt solar farm in rural Missouri the amount of electricity that's generated from that that needs to get in the grid that that presents a complication to 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 put the pieces all together um and so right. I, th that is a big part of it is how do we as a state or a country approach that to allow for it to be done efficiently mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess I should yeah I should also point out you know we we're talking about all this increased manufacturing and I was talking about this big plant in Desoto, Kansas, over the state line. I mean, those are energy intensive data centers that run Facebook and Apple and Amazon. Those are energy intensive, and so yeah, yeah. the more we move online, I mean, everyone kind of you know I think people think about online is being more economic ec ecologically friendly because you're not using as much paper or you know you're not i'm not having to like travel to st louis to talk to both of you <laughs> uh you know it it is still very you know it, it takes a lot of power to run this stuff um that's and i think good, that, that's a great point james and, and one thing i should point out um is that for the facility that you mentioned that's producing batteries yeah 
if if they chose to uh, under the IRA, if, and it's not it's not exclusive to the IRA, but the IRA made it a little bit cleaner. Is that if you, if you choose to then develop a generation facility alongside that, yeah, to, to help power it, you can get the the benefits of of the ITC and the PTC, and you can and you can allocate them and separate as long as they're separate, you can still get all the credits, the tax credits that are associated with them, <clears throat> and so it does kind of incentivize developing systems to support your energy demands. Um, and so as things like, um, and it's called co-location. So if you have things like a, a center that's going to develop um, biomass, for instance, and that as a function of that, in order to power your biomass structure, you're also going to develop a solar farm to provide that, you know, those, those things can be combined to, to take advantage of the, all the various tax credits that, that are directed for them. Um, and you can, you can endure to the benefit of all of them. So it, it, it is, it is robust and, and, and um, it, it, the, the IRA and, and the, the approach, I think of, of the IRS and treasury is to, you know, really incentivize, broad and comprehensive development. All right. Amanda, any, any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think the addition of the ability to, to take tax credits on standalone storage is, is something that, you know, um, we're definitely capitalizing on and excited about. And um, I think that speaks to a broader theme again in the IRA of just the idea that you know, previously there was there was an enumerated list of the technologies that you could claim these tax credits on. Um, it had to fit within right. a certain category, and now they're they're moving away from that into a regime where it's just um, they're looking for uh, technology that's going to be carbon neutral, and so it it leaves the door open for um, new lines of renewable energy that we might not even be thinking about yet. And so for me, mm. that's really exciting to just think about. Uh, you know, leaving that door open for um, people who are experts in the industry to come up with, uh, you know, additional ways to produce clean energy that that might not just be wind. I mean, you look at the industry, wind was wind was um, kind of the primary uh, type of project that was being built um, previously. I think it's it's moved a little bit more to solar um, in recent days and in 10 years, it might be something else. And so leaving that door open for um yeah, for the industry to continue to adapt and, um, uh, you know, move as technology continues to advance, I think is really um, great and exciting. Yeah. Now, I mean, I, I think it's, I, I think there's, I, I think there's limitless opportunity here, but I know, you know, you, you we're talking about federal policy. We're talking about interconnection issues um, that are kind of more regional but I mean, from the from the state perspective, you know, you, you work in Missouri, you work in other states. I mean, as far as Missouri goes, I mean, do you find there's limitations of doing this here uh, that that could be improved by new laws or regulations? I mean, what are some of the challenges you face specifically as a developer in Missouri? I think each region, um, you know, has specific challenges, especially around interconnection. And I, and I don't think Missouri is alone in that, but I think Missouri, um, Missouri is suffering from those same, those same industries or those same um, 
the same issue. So especially around interconnection, I think right now there's there's such a long lead time to get your project into queue and get your project approved. Um, and so I think that one in particular, um, and so I think anything that can be done to, to help with that and help move projects along a little bit quicker um, is, is going to be helpful. And I think anything to help, um, you know, at a, at a government level to um, help incentivize some of these network upgrades that we're talking about. So that costs, you know, for, projects to connect um, don't become prohibitive to the project being built in the first place. Um, you know, I, and I think the rest of it, a lot of it comes down to uh, local uh, support for these projects. And so part of our job is, is going out and, and educating um, the local municipalities as we move into them about the benefits of solar and um, and how much this is going to benefit, not just the individual landowners who might be having the solar plant, but just the creation of new jobs um, in the sector, the, you know, the additional um, influx of, of economic benefit that's going to come to that municipality as we bring that project in. And so um, that's, that's part of our job and part of the, uh, the role that we take as we try to get these projects developed is just, um, yeah, helping people uh, just understand a little bit better why these projects are beneficial to the community as a whole. Yeah, because I mean, I one thing I, I noticed there's a lot of um, there's a lot of pushback in some of these rural communities about this. Um, I think that a lot of it is because it is so new, it is so different. There's a lot of uncertainty about what it means for uh, the agricultural landscape in the state. Um, but then I also am fearful there's a lot of deliberate misinformation being put out there talking about how, I mean, I literally hear people say that these projects don't produce energy. They're just here for to, for rich people to make money. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I sit here and I hear all that, even though I know that like there are, there are jobs that are going to be created from this. Uh, there is money that landowners can make from this. Uh, but there does seem to be a lot of, um, a lot of unfortunate things being said. There's there is so much misinformation out there. Yes, I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah, which um, which I don't know how to stop because I feel like it's kind of just it's spewing out of social media and um, you know if if like if if like our national if like national security can't figure it out, I'm not sure I can either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I mean, but ultimately, I mean, I think, you know, but I think you touch on something about, you know, why this should matter. I mean, like, you know, I know it's one thing for developers to say like, Oh, we think this is great. Uh, you know, we want to do this, but I mean, it, there is, there is a lot of economic opportunity for Missouri here with all of this, isn't there? There, Yeah, there is. Um, I think it's an opportunity to, again, bring some revitalization to communities that, um, you know, might not be seeing it. I talked about the adder before for oil and gas communities that might uh, otherwise be hurting economically. Um, I mean, some of those adders are, are great. There's there's another one for uh, environmental um, communities, you know, like the if it's uh, an area where revitalization or development might otherwise be um, challenging because of environmental factors, uh, you know, so incentivizing investment in those types of areas, um, incentivizing mm -hmm. investment in low income communities. Um, and so I think this opportunity to 
to bring development to uh, areas that otherwise might not make sense to invest in um, is is going to be one of the the outcomes that we see from the IRA. Right. Right. Any parting thoughts on that, Rob? No, I, I tend to agree with, with Amanda is that oh, there's a lot of opportunity with, with renewables. Um, I, I agree that there's also competing interests. There's historical misunderstanding or reluctance to make drastic changes to the way we live our lives. Um, but I also think there's a lot of interest. And I think people naturally, when they start to think through the benefits of using more renewable energy sources, they they really see the benefits that it can provide uh, to a community or or even to the country. Right. You know, energy independence is a good thing. Yeah. And and we certainly have spent a tremendous amount of money as a country to make sure that we are energy secure. Um, yep. I think long-term, if we can, if people can understand that, you know, we can reallocate resources to places um, and to things that have other benefits outside of just securing energy, because we can produce energy it is, you know, in, in rural communities that may not otherwise have had that opportunity. Um, and it's a new, it's a new use of resources and new is scary and that's understandable. And so it's just, it's a, it's a long game. And um, certainly I think public sentiment is, 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 has been and continues to grow in favor of these types of, of projects. Mm-hmm. Um you know, certainly it's it's in, in different parts of the country. There's still hesitance um, toward toward really going in, going all in on those things. But I, I also think it's kind of inevitable. And so it's just a matter of putting in the work and having those conversations and demonstrating value. And um, once that's done, I think we'll see a lot more progress. And, and we are seeing progress. I mean, you know, if. if people want to come in and spend millions of dollars in your community. Um, that's, that's attractive. And yeah. so um, it's finding ways to make it palatable, I think, to local mm-hmm. government, state government, um, finding tax policies that at the state level that, that, that help the communities, but also don't hurt the projects, you know, real property tax. We don't, we have to go into that, but that's a big component, I think, of, of a challenge of getting the oh yeah, jury. Um, and yeah. so not to prolong the conversation more than necessary, but those are the types of things we have to the challenges that we have to we have to yeah. navigate. Um, and I think we're making progress in Missouri, and uh, you know, hopefully we continue. That's our hope. Yeah, the, the solar property tax issue could be a whole other podcast. Maybe yeah, that's that's a big one. <laughs> we'll have you come back for that one. Amanda, yeah. Rob, thanks again uh, for joining us. Thanks again for your time. Thanks again for your insight. Thanks so much, James. Yeah, thanks, James, for having us. This was fun. Yeah, this was. I, I, told, I promised it would be painless. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you all found it painless as well. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us wherever you uh, get your podcast uh, You get your podcast uh, content. Leave a review to amplify our reach and share on your social media pages yourself.
On behalf of Renew Missouri and Renew Gurus, this is James Owen signing off for today, wishing you a good day and a pleasant tomorrow. Take care till next time.